Open your Bibles to the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 1 here in a minute. I was diligently wiping the clay off my pages this morning message. Joshua chapter 1, we'll read the first three verses here. Text. Uh, Moses has just passed from the scene. He's gone home to glory, and the reins of this responsibility to take with the Bible, the estimates are probably close to three million people. I have to cross over the Jordan River. It's an incredible responsibility. Amen. Uh, keep in mind, it's not just the people; it's it's all the stuff they have. You know, the, the livestock and the, the tents and all that paraphernalia that went into putting up the tabernacle. I mean, can you even imagine what that, that, that crowd would be like? Say there was three million people and all that stuff. Um, I tried to visualize it on a piece of paper. And uh, what I did is uh, I just kind of gave so many people so many feet of space. First of all, you got to imagine how, how long a... How wide a path was it that they crossed over? Do you think it was single file? I doubt that. I doubt that. There's a lot of people. Uh, but let's just say, for argument's sake, because it could only be so wide, but let's say it was up to 200 people wide. And with all that stuff, my calculation was that that line of people, 200 wide, would be 15 miles long. And that 15 miles of people, uh, they couldn't just get over on the other side and then plop their stuff down. They had to make room for the other, you know, 2,999,000, whatever people that were behind them. And to move that big a crowd that distance, 15 miles, and maybe longer if it wasn't that wide, huge undertaking, huge responsibility. Here in Joshua 1 1, the Bible says this. Now, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua. The son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, on the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I appreciate uh, the souls that you brought out into this building this morning. 
And Lord, I pray that uh, in spite of me and in spite of my shortcomings and my weaknesses, Lord, that for this next uh, half hour, 45 minutes, Lord, that you would allow me to be your mouthpiece, that you would speak to the souls that are in this room this morning. Help us to glean some things from the book of Joshua and from the life of Joshua. We already read that, Lord, that you called him a servant. And Lord, our desire is to be that servant you would have us to be. So help us to get some principles that uh, from this book and then his life that we can take advantage of, apply them to our lives, and be the servant you would have us to be. And we ask it for your praise and your glory. And we ask it in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So I want you to, everybody making a bunch of pottery here this morning. And, uh, a lot of that pottery I'm going to explain to you a little later on. But it, with that in mind, I'm, I'm just going to make this statement at the outset, and I'll clarify it later. The statement is this. He's the master potter, right? It said that in Isaiah, uh, O Lord, thou art our father. We are the clay, and thou art potter. We are all the work of thy hand. Now, a lot of what you're going to get this morning is you're going to get an audible message. Uh, you're going to get a visual message as well. And you're going to get a uh, probably a two or three subliminal messages, which I may explain to you. Uh, but whether or not I do or not, they, you'll get those messages as well. So a big part of the message is going to be what you see. And toward that end, if any of you at any time feel you can't see as well as you want to, you want to move, get a reposition yourself, whatever, by all means, it's not going to bother me at all. I want you to see this stuff. God wants you to see it. It's a big part of the message. And I'm not going to work super big or anything, but I'm trying to make this so everybody can get these principles. Um, statement is this, God is in the shaping business, and because he's in the shaping business, you and I need to be in the serving business. Amen. I'll get back to that a little later. So, I would assume from what we've read already, and the context here, knowing what a huge responsibility this was, an incredible responsibility, that you and I would just assume, I did, that Joshua must have been a very, very courageous person to take on and assume that responsibility. Well, we might assume that, but what does the Bible say? Look in verse 6 of Joshua 1. Verse 6 is the Lord speaking to Joshua, and he says, uh, be strong and of a good courage. He's telling him to be strong and of a good courage. Look in verse 7, the Lord says, only be thou strong and very courageous. Look in verse 9, the Lord speaking to him again, have not I commanded thee? Uh, be strong and of a, of a good courage. Three times there already, the Lord's telling Joshua to be strong and encouraged. Look down at the very end of verse 18. Now Moses, uh, some 40 years earlier, had actually taught uh, this psalm or song to the nation of Israel. And here it comes to fruition where the nation itself is singing or chanting in unison to Joshua. And they're saying, only be strong and of encouraged. I look at the word courage and forms of courage, courageous and so forth, in our King James Bible uh, that's not in the Bible that many times. That word and forms of the word courage only appeared 26 times in the entire Bible. But the very interesting thing about that is that the first eight times that word is used, it's spoken directly to Joshua. I'm here to tell you, Joshua was not born courageous. Mm -hmm. He was shaped 
for courage. As a matter of fact, uh, the first four times that word is used, it was 40 years earlier when um, Moses was sending out the 12 spies, uh, one of whom was Joshua. And he's telling them to be strong and courageous. Uh, not only the first eight times is it spoken directly to Joshua, but 10 of the first 11 of those times, it's to Joshua. Even the word encourage, only used four times in our Bible, the first two times, right to Joshua. Joshua was not born that way. He was shaped that way. Now, the question becomes, is there something God wants to shape you for? Maybe he wants to shape you for the courage to make sure you've got some of those gospel tracks in your purse or pocket and be passing those out. Because let's face it, you can pass them out anywhere you want, whenever you want. Maybe he wants to shape you for the courage to actually get out of your little comfort zone and put one of those gospel magnets on your vehicle or plant a gospel sign in your yard. Or it could be all kinds of different things that maybe he wants you to do. Maybe he wants you to shape you for the courage just to actually open your mouth and present the gospel to a coworker or a neighbor or who knows, maybe a family member. You know, I'm not going to tell you where this was, but I just said it. I recently did a four-day meeting, a revival. It's actually a five-day meeting at this uh, church. And uh, afterwards, a guy came up to me and said, you know, I just feel like uh, uh, kind of stagnating as a Christian and all this stuff. And, and uh, I asked him if he had a chance to witness to some of the people at, at work. Uh, I said, well, you know, I just, I know I should, but I just don't have the... I just haven't had the, the nerve to do it or something. I said, hey, uh, do any of your people, uh, your co-workers, does any of them ride a motorcycle? He said, yeah, I, this one guy I know, I actually had lunch with him and stuff. Why don't you take one of those Spurgeon tracks? It's, this guy's a biker. It's a perfect avenue to uh, to give a guy, say, here's, here's another guy that rides a motorcycle, and this is what happened to him, this is his life story in that gospel track. If you're familiar with it, I don't know if you are or not. Yes. Most of you know who David Spurgeon is. We're talking to your pastor about getting him down here. Yeah. One night, I already talked to David. He's given me the okay to give you his number. So um, he'd be a real blessing to you. Anyway, listen. We all think that we are not capable, we're not uh, knowledgeable enough to adequately present the gospel to somebody. And maybe you're not. But get out of your comfort zone and allow God to use those vocal cords and witness to somebody. Amen. Um, maybe God wants you to uh, shape you for the courage to read your Bible all the way through from beginning to end. And if you've already done that, maybe he wants you to do it again. Maybe he wants to shape you for the courage to begin uh, tithing to your church or to join a church or to be the spiritual leader in your homes, men. Maybe God wants to shape you for the courage to be that spiritual leader that he's ordained that you should be. And maybe some of the women that are in this room, I don't know, but maybe some of the women need to allow God to shape them for the courage to allow their husbands to be the spiritual leader in their homes. I don't know. It's in my notes, so don't take it personally. <laughs> Go to 2 Timothy 2. First, I mentioned in Sunday school, 2 Timothy 
2, verse 4, the Bible said, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him, that hath chosen him to be a soldier. Maybe God wants to shape you for the courage to get disentangled from the affairs of this life, if that's the situation you find yourself in. Amen. And I would tell you what, that, I told you in Sunday school, that, that verse is near, very near and dear to me, because when I did surrender to the Lord, and the first thing he led me to do was to uh, go to a Bible school and learn the Bible, I felt I was very entangled uh, with the affairs of this life, and I didn't know how he was going to get me disentangled, but I stepped out in faith, and I prayed that he would, and he did. He got me disentangled with the affairs of this life. Now, if you look at that verse in 2 Timothy 2, 4, what a blessing. If you look closely, you'll see that the word this is italicized. Now, that indicates in our King James Bible that you see a word that's in italics. That's the uh, transparency, the honesties of the translators. They're telling us that they couldn't find any of the manuscripts that they had at their possession at that time. They couldn't actually find that word in there, but they felt led by the Holy Spirit to include that word anyway. Because they didn't find it in any of the manuscripts, they put it in italics. Now look at would that verse make sense if the italicized word, italicized word, this was not in it? Of course it would. It would say, "No man that worth entangleth himself with life, that he may please him that chosen to soldier." But we have the added meaning: don't get entangled with the affairs of this life, but go ahead and get entangled with the affairs of the life to come. Yes. So if that word, this, was not in any of the in this case, the Greek manuscripts, I would have to say that in this particular instance, our English Bible was actually superior Amen. to that Greek original. Okay? Yes, and I hope sir. that doesn't ruffle your feathers. But I, I, would, I would direct you toward a book uh, called The Certainty of the Words of Truth, written by Pastor Kyle Stevens. Now, this example is not in that book, but he's got examples of other words and things that weren't in the originals, but we do have it in the King James Bible. And if you believe like I do, and I think most of you do in here, that this is a perfect, pure, preserved, inspired words. It's not just the best translation. This is the Bible. This is the words of God. And boy, I hope you come to that conclusion. Listen, uh, this idea that get entangled with the affairs of the life to come but not this life. That's a principle that's all throughout the Pauline epistles. It, it said in Colossians, set, not your, set your affection on things above, not on the things of this earth. Uh, Jesus Christ said in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, uh, lay not up for yourselves treasures uh, on earth because of the moths and the rust and the thieves, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Uh, Jesus Christ said this in the Gospel of John, he said, labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for the meat which endureth unto everlasting life go on and on. Listen, we, we've got a great example in someone that who was not entangled with the affairs of this life, that would be the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I mean, you think about his life, the fact that he was, you know, a certain man comes up to him in Luke chapter 9. He comes up to the Lord Jesus Christ and says, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. You know what Christ says to him? Something like, you know, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests. The son of man hath not where to lay his head. <laughs> Saying, hey, you're going to follow me? You're going to get disentangled. The Thompsons, I could bet you, are disentangled. They had to get disentangled to get ready to go to the Philippines. And now they're in Belize. And so, hey, you, 
if you're going to be able to uh, allow God to navigate your course, maybe interrupt your plans, you have to be somewhat mobile. You can't have these deep, deep roots, especially in all these earthly possessions that are taking all your time and energy and probably your financial wherewithal. I mean, it's such a trap, such a trap. I pray that if you are not entangled, some of you young men that are still in your teens, and it's just a natural thing. The United States of America, there's so many things to get. We're tempted by these things, trying to keep up with the Joneses, whatever it may be. Don't get entangled with the affairs of this life. Don't. If you are, get disentangled. The Lord will help you. Think about his life. The fact that uh, he was born in a borrowed manger. He preached in a borrowed boat. He entered Jerusalem on the back of a borrowed colt. He uh, entertained the disciples at what we call the Last Supper, and that was in a borrowed room. He, uh, he was crucified on a borrowed cross and buried in a borrowed grave. There was actually a time during his life when he needed what I would call a sermon illustration, and in order to make that sermon illustration, he had to have one of his disciples borrow a coin out of the mouth of a fish. Jesus Christ, you talk about someone who was not entangled with the bears of his life. You know, I've been thinking about that word courage and how uh, Joshua was definitely shaped for courage. But, and uh, I don't know, I think I looked in the Webster's 1828 to get what I would call a general definition of courage. And it means to be something like you and I would come up with the same probably definition. To be courage, to be courageous is someone that's fearless, someone that's brave, right? Well, so I'm going to take a little liberty and say maybe, maybe it wasn't so much courage that Joshua was shaped for, but maybe it was faith. And I started thinking about some of the other, what I would consider courageous men. I think about Gideon's 300, how they went to battle against uh, 135,000 Midianites. And all they did was have faith in God's plan which is, I'm sure you're aware of that, Judges chapter 7. They had these 300 men, the darkest hour of the night, they're given an earthen pitcher in one hand, a burning lamp inside of that pitcher, they're given a trumpet in the other hand, they surround the Midianites and camp down below, and then they break the earthen pitcher, exposing the light, they shout, sword of the Lord and Gideon, uh, and then they just blow the trumpet. That's the whole battle strategy. And it was successful. Yeah. They had faith in God. They weren't courageous, they had faith in God and, and Gideon for that matter. Elijah, when he confronted the uh, Baal worshippers, the same thing. Faith in God. Think about David going up against Goliath. Faith in God. Trusted in God. Paul, he took all those missionary journeys. He must have been a super courageous guy. Had a lot of faith. Well, you know what? Every one of those missionary journeys began with a single faith, step of faith. I'll tell you what. Maybe it would be better to say, God needs to shape you for the faith to read your Bible, to join the church, to begin tithing, to get involved with a nursing home ministry, a jail ministry, get out there on the street and join the ministries in this church when they're active and happening. There are so many opportunities to do things. And when you do them as a group, you support one another and you encourage your pastor. Yeah. And that's why it's important to take advantage of the opportunities when there's church functions or ministry. Get involved. Uh, I came across this little saying. It said, fear knocked at the door 
Faith answered, and nobody was there. Fear knocked at the door, faith answered, nobody there. You see, faith and fear can't really coexist. And that's the point of that little saying. So that, I like this idea of faith because I know where faith cometh from. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And it brings us right back down to that satiating ourselves with the words of God. We need to spend time in those words and absorbing the four ways I mentioned in Sunday school by reading them, by memorizing them, by studying them, and then by meditating on those words. And we need to saturate ourselves with those words so that God can use us for his purposes and his pleasure. Now, God will shape us not only through the words, but through circumstances. And uh, when it comes to shaping us by those words, sometimes those words are so supernaturally powerful, just reading the words, I mean, I'm talking about reading First uh, Chronicles chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4, all those lists of names, those are doing something to us. Yes, amen. I, I'm not sure exactly what, but I, uh, I don't want to get off on a tangent. But I know in my own life, those four chapters, I read those probably more than any other section of the Bible, because they seem to do something for me. And what they do is I think they clean out kind of my hard drive up here that's got too many images. So I mean, that's just a, a thing, but the words of God are powerful. They're also powerful because of the scriptures that they, uh, the principles, like I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Okay, you get that from the Bible. You get the fact that my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory, from the Bible. You get the Romans uh, 10, 17, I already mentioned, faith coming by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Listen, you and I need to spend time in those words and allow God to shape us for his purposes and his pleasure. By all means, don't allow yourself to get entangled with the affairs of this life. Back in Joshua, God not only shapes us for companionship, excuse me, for for uh, courage slash faith, but he does want to shape us for companionship as well. It says there in Joshua 1, 5, There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. This is the Lord speaking to Joshua. As I was with Moses, so will I be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. Now for the sake of time, I'm not going to have you turn to uh, Joshua, excuse me, the gospel, uh, the epistle of John, 1 John. Uh, we're talking about having fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You mentioned that a little bit in Sunday school. You know what God wants? He wants companionship with us. He wants it right now. Uh, remember this verse, I think it's in Romans, he said that you've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit which are God's. That's not what the words I'm thinking of. I'm thinking of Romans 12, 1 and 2. Uh, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove it as a good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And it's still not the verse I'm thinking of, but the, the verse that talks about our reasonable service is to get out there and do things for the Lord. Amen. Okay, and I'm sorry I can't pull the trigger on that one. But God wants that close fellowship, that companionship with us right now. Just like he walked with Enoch, he walked with Adam in the cool of the day. The Bible says, beloved, now are we the sons of God. You and I are, if we're born again, we are the sons of God right now. Amen. If God wants that fellowship with us that daily companionship with us. Turn to Joshua chapter 24. Now in Joshua chapters 3 and 4, after they've crossed over the Jordan River, 
the Lord uh, tells the nation of Israel, he said, I want you to take one man from each of the 12 tribes. And I want those men to go gather some stones out of the Jordan River. And we're going we're to make two piles of stones. And they're going to be for a memorial. The one pile is going to be in the river itself. And the other pile is going to be in the camp where we lodge this particular evening. So those are the 12 stones in each of those two piles. One gathered from each of the 12 tribes, or by each of the 12 tribes. All right? Here in Joshua 24, kind of the same principle, it says in verse 26, and Joshua wrote these things, or excuse me, and Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God, and he took a great stone and set up there under an oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said unto all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness unto us, for it hath heard all the words of the Lord, which he spake unto us. It shall be a witness unto you, lest ye deny your God. Catch that? There's a stone there. Just like those 12 stones are going to be a visual memorial or a witness, this single stone here in Joshua 24 it says that that stone actually heard the things we've been saying, and it's going to be a, a witness. Now you say, well, how, how is that possible? How does that stone retain the words of God? I don't know. You got a cell phone? Cell phone has a, I don't know, a microchip in it or whatever they're called, a computer chip, right? That's basically a stone. The first means of uh, yeah. wireless communication was crystal radio set, and crystal's a type of stone. There's something about stones that are actually, uh, maybe they retain and then can transmit somehow those words. I mean, that's what the Bible's telling us right there. Go to Joshua, excuse me, the Gospel of John. We'll be at in Joshua in a minute. Gospel of John, chapter 16. John, chapter 16, uh, I think it really begins down around verse 14 or so. Jesus Christ is, uh, realizes his days on planet Earth are, are numbered, and he's going to be on that cross of Calvary in short order. And so he's just, like, for about four chapters there, he's spending a lot of time, if you get a red-letter version, you see most of those four chapters are in red letters. And it's about him about comforting his disciples, knowing that he has to go away. And he's informing them that uh, when he does go away, that the Comforter, the capital C, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit will come. He even tells him, if I don't go away, the comforter can't come. He says in verse 8 of John 16, And when he has come, referring to the Holy Spirit, when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. Now, if you're of the Calvinist persuasion, you might think, well, good. I'm glad the Holy Spirit's going to do that. That takes me off the hook. Well, does it? If you're born again, the Holy Spirit's living inside of you. And if the Bible says the Holy Spirit's going to reprove the world of sin and righteousness and judgment, then that's our responsibility. Our responsibility, because we are nothing more than a vessel of clay, is to yield our vessel of clay and yield our vocal cords and our lips and our mouth and some of our precious time. And you and I need to be reproving the world of sin through some of the things we say and maybe some of the actions, uh, the... the, the uh, Watch it. So that gets back to this thing about repudiating the world. When you make some kind of a formal announcement or denunciation of the things of this world, uh, that's what you're doing. And you're reproving the world, hopefully, of sin. 
reminding lost people that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Reminding lost people that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. You and I should be reproving the world of righteousness, informing that, that uh, you know, only the righteousness of Jesus Christ is going to get anyone into heaven. And that righteousness is available as a free gift. Amen. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God. You know, you and I have the same problem that the nation of Israel had. And that problem is this. It's explained, I think, in the first verses of Romans 10. It says that they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. Uh, uh, boxed up a little bit. But they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. Something like that. Uh, let me find it, Romans. And going about to establish their own righteousness? Is yeah. That... They, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. Amen. The lost world doesn't realize what it said there in Isaiah 64. All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. In God's eyes, that's not our, our shortcomings, our faults. That's our righteousnesses are as filthy rags to God. We need to be proving the world of that righteousness by the, uh, by the things we do, the way we live our lives, and maybe the things we say. How about you and I reproving the world of judgment by informing believers that they are going to stand before God one day at a judgment seat of Christ and reminding lost people or telling lost people that have no clue that one day they will stand before God at what's called a great white throne judgment. And that's just a temporary stop before they are cast into an eternal lake of fire. And you don't die in that eternal lake of fire. You eternally suffer in that eternal lake of fire. Amen. That's our responsibility. I, I like John 16, 8, every bit as much as the gospel. That's it for us right there. That's our responsibility as believers. God will shape us to be that witness that he wants us to be. Matter of fact, when God saved uh, the Apostle Paul, Paul's giving his testimony there in Acts uh, 26 to King Agrippa, telling him what happened on the road to Damascus. And one of the things Jesus Christ said to God when he spoke to him from heaven, in that bright light, he said, I'm appearing unto you to make you both a minister and a witness. Turn back to Joshua chapter 18. Joshua chapter 18, verse 7. Context here is uh, uh, they passed over the Jordan River. They conquered uh, all the enemies in Canaan. And now Joshua has assembled the 12 tribes. And he's passing out the land grants to each of the 12 tribes. It says there in Joshua 18, verse 7. But the Levites shall have no part among you, for the priesthood of the Lord is their inheritance. Do you realize that the tribe of Levi got no inheritance except that they got the priesthood of the Lord? Now, if you're saved, New Testament salvation, New Testament believers are called kings and priests. Amen. And we have the same inheritance they have. We are priests of the Lord. Priesthood of the Lord is our inheritance. Do you realize that if you're joint heirs with Christ, is what the Bible says, then we inherit everything. Because God owns everything, and we're heirs to that everything. 
we're not joint heirs of Christ, we are joint heirs with Christ. Turn to Acts. Acts 26. I told you in Acts 26, Christ mentions in verse 16 and how he's appeared to him for that purpose to make him a minister and a witness. Verse 17, at the end of that, he says, I'm going to send you to the Gentiles. This is what's happened on the road to Damascus in the Apostle Paul. And then in verse 18, he says, why am I sending you to the Gentiles? Verse 18, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive two things. Number one, forgiveness of sins, that's salvation. And, number two, inheritance among them which are sanctified. You see, your sanctification is a part of the process that began at salvation, although salvation is not a process, it's a decision. And your inheritance, your earned inheritance, is dependent on not only your sanctification, but your acts of suffering and or service to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I, you know, I think I taught on this last time when I was here, but I'm not, and I'm not going to go any further except I have to turn to Colossians chapter 3. But listen, God wants to sanctify you, and he wants to give you something above and beyond the glorified body, which you're automatically getting one day, which eternal life, which you've got already if you're born again. Also, what happened is you were placed in Christ immediately upon salvation. Christ was placed in you immediately upon salvation. Amen. Uh, you were born again. Your spirit was dead. Now it's alive. All those things happened to you immediately upon salvation. But he's got other things, an earned inheritance, and that's where you have to be careful reading the word inheritance in your King James Bible. Sometimes it refers to the half a dozen or so things you automatically get with salvation. Sometimes it refers to things you can earn, rewards that will be given out of the judgment seat of Christ. And sometimes it refers to both of those things. And you just have to know from the context. But here in Colossians 3.22, it says, Servants, obey in all things your masters, according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance for ye serve the Lord Christ. There is an inheritance that God wants to give us above and beyond those things that are promised to us with salvation. And those will be given out to the judgment seat of Christ. They could be in the form of a crown, maybe a heavenly jeweled crown. They could be in the form of certain types of clothing that you will wear for maybe the millennial reign or on into eternity. I'm not sure of all that. Maybe that the mansion you may live in one day is going to be an earned reward. Because the Bible didn't say, uh, Jesus Christ said, in my father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. He said, I'm preparing a mansion for you. Now, he wants to prepare a mansion for every believer. But whether or not you get that mansion is going to be dependent on your service and your suffering and sanctification for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's part of your earned inheritance. Very clear parable in Luke chapter 19, the parable of pounds. And that talks about the earned inheritance which just so happens to be uh, to rule and reign over cities out into the millennium into eternity. That's an earned inheritance. That's going to be a special reward given to certain faithful believers.
All right? So, Joshua, shaped for courage slash faith, shaped for companionship, shaped to be a witness, shaped to receive an inheritance, also shaped to serve the Lord. Go to Joshua 24 again. I want to put up, I'm going to take just a minute here and put something up on the board for you. This is a template. I, I use this um, in a lot of messages. It's got a broad appeal, and I think it's appropriate here. Uh, four verses. A great verse, Revelation 4, 1, 1. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Simply put, that one verse gives us the meaning of life. Why did God create us? He created us to bring him pleasure. And that verse tells us how we can bring him the pleasure. If we will do things that honor him, things that glorify him, things that demonstrate his power working through us, that pleases him. So, to sum it up, I would say, to simplify it, God created us to please him, and we please him by glorifying him. And then it says in John 15, 8, Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. And then in Titus 3.14, the Bible says, we need to be careful to maintain good works, lest we become unfruitful. So John 15.8, Created to glorify God. We glorify Him by bearing fruit. We bear fruit by maintaining good works. Um, 14. And then we could read, we're not going to, but 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He's talking about one day we'll be judged at the judgment seat of Christ for our works as to what sort they are. So what I'm getting at is this. We were created to please God by glorifying him. We glorify him by bearing fruit. We bear fruit by doing good works, and one day we'll be judged for those good works. It wouldn't be error to say one day we're going to be judged at the judgment seat of Christ by whether or not we brought pleasure to our Savior. And you bring him that pleasure by serving him above and beyond. I mean, everything kind of fall into that category. Look at Joshua 24, verse 14. This course is at the end of Joshua's life. He says in verse 14 of Joshua 24, Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, Choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods uh, which your father served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So that's what it all boils down to. It all boils down to serving the Lord. Uh, the whole idea of being shaped for courage slash faith. 
is about serving the Lord. Shaped to be a witness, shaped for companionship, shaped to receive an inheritance. Those things are all tied into our service for the Lord Jesus Christ. So when I mentioned to you early on, God is in the shaping business, and because he's in the shaping business, we need to be in the serving business. Because what I hear in way too many churches, and that's what I heard from that young man who I didn't mention his name or what church I was at, who came up to me and said he just feels like he was stagnating and the Lord wasn't using him. And, and I said, hey, you know, take this truck, hand it to you, what are you guys? And I saw that guy a week later, and you know what? He hadn't done it. You know, what is that? That's a guy who just really, I don't know if he's so full of himself that he didn't think he has to. I mean, on the one hand, he complained to me that he felt stagnating. You know what? The Lord's trying to show him, well, here's an opportunity to do something. Yeah. But if he won't do it, then I don't know. He's not going to move from that spot he's at right now. Do not wait until you think you are ready to do the things God's leading you to do. You may never be ready. This is the point. I will tell you this. God is in the shaping business. That's why we need to be in the serving business. Because God is going to push you. He's going to pull you, prod you, propel you, something, give you some kind of opportunity to serve him when you feel incapable or incapable of doing so. But what he wants to do is he wants to actually shape you while you are trying to do this act of service towards somebody else. Yes. While you think, and you know what he's doing as well? He's actually shaping, through that act of service, he's shaping the person you're trying to be a servant towards. Yes. Okay? So it's like, you know, we talked about uh, accommodating others by adjusting your actions, being sensitive to their needs. When you adjust your actions and you try to help out a, uh, could be a lost or a saved person, it doesn't matter. Uh, and you get outside of your comfort zone and just allow God to do what he wants to do through you, he's not only shaping the heart, hopefully, of that recipient of your service, he's shaping you as well. You, you just got to get this fact. If God is going to shape you, think of this potter's, when you've watched me make these different vessels up here. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to make different vessels. I've got a bunch of finished ones here. Um, they're different shapes. Trying to make some things that are small, some things that are big, some things that are tall, some things that are short, some things wide, narrow, whatever you want to say. Different shape, different vessels because they have different purposes. God has created billions of souls. Every one of those souls is unique. And God has unique things for each and every soul to do. And he's, he, he's made you unique because of those unique things he wants you to allow him to do through you. Now, you watch me make these pieces. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but the potter almost never, ever shapes the clay when the wheel is not moving. And that's a picture of you and I getting out there and allowing God to use us in some type of ministry. And it doesn't have to be a blatant, outward, noticeable ministry like Brother Thompson or Pastor Schoolfield. It can be you just being that grandparent God wants you to be, being that faithful church member God wants you to be, standing out on the street corner, you know, doing that, something like that, which is kind of blatant out there. But it could be that faithful prayer warrior, that supporting 
uh, not only the infirmed of this, your church family, but praying for your pastor and the leadership of this church. There's an infinite number of things God wants you to do to be the servant he's called you to do. And your responsibility, my responsibility, is to allow him to show us those things. But what we have to do, and if we're going to receive that earned inheritance especially, is we have to make ourselves available. Available to him to be used for his honor and his glory and his purposes and his pleasure. You and I are made out of clay. Part of that clay's responsibility is to get on the wheel and allow the master power to shape it. It's shaped while it's spinning. Picture of you and I doing our service. Now, you know, I'm trying to make this as simple and easy as I can. I, I don't know if this is really necessary to make it this simple or easy, but here's a top view of a potter's wheel. And that potter's wheel goes round and round and round. And what's happening is, as you are on the wheel of life, and God is using those circumstances to shape you, he's molding you, and he's shaping you as you're serving him, so that you can serve, so he can shape you further, so you can serve him better. And it's a never-ending, never-stopping type of thing. He wants to continue to shape you as you continue to serve him. And eventually, if you do that long enough, you'll find yourself in the center of God's will. You know, And, and hopefully you could be in the center of God's will all, all the way along the journey. But sometimes people, especially young people, are so anxious to get into God's perfect will for your life, for the rest of your life. That's the wrong perspective. You need to ask God, what's your perfect will for me today? Yes. Amen. What do you want me to do today? What can I do that that young man, all he had to do was hand somebody a gospel drop. I'm encouraging you. I brought, um, uh, I've got a bunch more, but I've got at least 20, 30 trifolds out there on that book table out there. Please take one or more of those. I've got hundreds more. I'll put more out if you need them. I would encourage you to take one of those and hand it to somebody and even if they go to some other church, ask them if they want to come out and watch a guy make pottery and preach on Monday night or Tuesday night at 7 o'clock. Amen. You know? And if you think it would be good for them, and uh, invite them to church. Yeah. Step outside of your comfort zone. Uh, you never know. I know there's visitors here this morning that uh, uh, maybe are looking for a church. And people need to know that you, your church family, you members of this church, you need to let people know that you've got a Bible-believing church that preaches and teaches the Word of God. And uh, sometimes I would encourage people that are looking for a church, um, it's not so much, what are you looking for in a church? It's like, Lord, is this the church you want me at? Because hopefully you're looking for a church where you can be a servant Amen. at that church. This is a church that there's a lot to do here. And you've got a lot of programs in place and a lot of things that could be done through this church. That's the kind of church you should be looking for. A church where you can be a blessing to other people. A church that's active. A church that's just not a social club. But a church that cares about lost souls. And has ministry opportunities uh, to accommodate that, to facilitate that. Now, one other thing. Every one of these vessels I've been making, including shaping this handle for this little picture, I'm using a lot of water. Because when the potter's shaping the clay, he wants the clay to slide between his fingers. He doesn't want the uh, clay to stick. 
between his fingers, especially when it's going around that wheel and he's shaping it. It would not be wrong, and that's why you see me dipping my hands into this bucket of water over and over again. I usually use this sponge. And usually what I'm doing is, as the wheel is spinning around, I got my thumb on the outside and my fingers on the inside, and I'm dripping the clay down here, the water here. And part of that water goes down the outside of the vessel, and part of it goes down the inside. That's when I'm continually lubricating the clay. So what's that? That's a picture for you and I of the Word of God. Because it would not be wrong to say that the potter's hands never touch the clay. What's really touching the clay is the water. Our contact point with him is the water of the Word. Amen. Amen. And that's how we touch him. That's how we touch others through him. The washing of the water by the word of God. Hey. I pray that some of these visuals will help you. And these are kind of the, even if I didn't explain the pottery having to be spinning, that's one of those subliminal things that you would have gotten anyway. But now that I've made mention of it, take advantage of that. Allow yourself to step outside of what is your current comfort zone. Do something that's slightly uncomfortable, something that's slightly inconvenient, and you will find yourself serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes. And that's what he wants. He wants to shape you for that service. Yes. Amen. Heavenly Father, I'm sure to thank you for the time you've given us today, Lord.